Let's pray together. Father God, thank you for the fact that you have included everything we need in the scriptures for life and godliness. Thank you that you have given us your spirit who provides all the power we need for life and godliness. And thank you that you've given us the church so that together we can motivate one another as you lead us forward. And I pray that in Christ's name. Amen. So an elevator speech was, those of you who'd taken sales training somewhere in your life, you were told to have something prepared so that if somebody asks you what you do for a living or if you go into a new customer, a new client, you have this little speech ready that you can give to them that orients them toward what you're doing. For example, I worked for OPEX Corporation. And I would go in and say, good morning, my name is Raymond von Pletzen. I'm from OPEX Corporation. We make the world's most efficient, cost-efficient, and effective mail and Uh, what was the other word? Processing equipment. There was another part to that, but I haven't done it for several years. But still, and I knew our products. I loved our products. And I knew that I was telling the truth. And so I could say that to somebody just in order to persuade him, I've got the answer to your needs. Now imagine if you got on board an elevator with Jesus. And you turned toward Jesus and you asked him this question, how can I live a life worth living? How can I live in such a way that my life is counts for now and counts for eternity? Well, if you were to ask him that, in an elevator speech, it's got to be within about two or three uh, floors of, of the elevator going up. It's got to be quick. It's got to be clear. It's got to be to the point. If you ask Jesus that question, how can I live a life worth living? He would answer something like this. I am the source of all life. Continually connect to me and your life will be worth living both now and forever. Now, he'd say something like that, I believe, because he said something like that in one of the most significant chapters in the Bible. And it's a chapter that has marked my life. Let me tell you what happened. I was supported by a church in Dallas while I was a missionary. And I spoke at their church one Sunday, and that evening, we all went over to the house of one of the families and had dessert and stuff. And it was around about 10 o'clock, and people you could see were beginning to gather their stuff to go home. And one of the women said, Raymond, I have a question. (laughs) I'm always terrified when people do that, like, oh, shoot, dog. She said, Raymond, listen, we live in the shadow of the world's best seminary, Dallas Theological Seminary, which is the best. No, no, no question about it at all. And we've heard professors from the world's best seminary speak to us in our church. And we've read the books and filled in the study guides. And we have studied and we've studied and we've studied and we know and we know and we know. And she said, but what's missing? And what was interesting is that the other people began to take the coats off. And we all sat down together and we discussed this fact. They said, we know so much. But what's missing? And we didn't know. And so for the next couple of hours, we just sat there and just talked about that. You know, do you feel the same? It was clear that she had touched a nerve in everybody. And she touched a nerve inside of me as well. We've got all this information. We've got all of this incredible teaching. And we've got all of this time we've spent studying and studying and studying. But what's missing? And sometime in there, somebody said, you know what it is? We're missing Jesus. And it was kind of like, yeah, but how? But what? 
And why? And around about midnight, it was kind of like, oh, I guess we're not going to figure this one out. And I had to leave to go back to South Africa the next morning. And so, but that question haunted me. And one of my best friends, he was actually my best friend in my church in South Africa, said to me one day, he said, Raymond, here's the problem. You worship God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Scriptures. Now, I could take that from him because I knew what he was saying. He said, you're scared of the Holy Spirit. You're scared of a close encounter with God. You're, you're scared. You keep your distance from him by doing all this stuff and teaching and keep him. But you teach about it, but you never connect with him yourself. And I happened to be preaching through the Gospel of John. And I got to John chapter 15. And if you know me at all by now, you know that John chapter 15 has marked my life. And John chapter 15 shows up in almost every sermon I ever preach. Because when I got to John chapter 15, that's where it stopped for a while. And that's where I began to connect with what, how Jesus teaches us we live the Christian life. He says in John chapter 15, I'm the source of all life. Continually connect to me and your life will be worth living both now and forever. So what I'm going to ask you to do is in your bulletin... You've got a printout, and we don't usually do this, but this one I wanted you to have. And this is sort of a summary of John chapter 15, but I want you to flip it over to the back, and you'll notice that I've put the NIV version of John chapter 15 there. One of the difficulties that we face when preaching sermons is that we often preach pieces of passages. But today I want us to hear the whole passage and then do a quick summary of it, and then build on it in the weeks to come. So let me set the scene for you. This is the last night Jesus is with his disciples. The next day he's going to go to the cross. As they've come toward this room, the disciples have been arguing about who's going to be first in the kingdom of God. Their whole focus is on their glory to come. And these are men who are full of self-confidence. When Jesus says one of them is going to betray me, they're all going, not me, not me. Who do you think? Who's it? We're not going to betray you. Peter says, hey, I'll even die with you, Lord. Full of self-confidence. And Jesus has this one last opportunity to teach them something that they need to know. Because they're going to need to know this, not only after the crucifixion, but after he ascends to heaven. And so what he does, I believe, in John chapter 15, verses 1 through 17, is he gives a summary of how we live the Christian life. How we live a life that is worth living now and how we live a life that is worth living forever. And if you fall asleep, I'll tell you just quickly what it is. We do it by connecting ourselves soul to soul with Jesus on a continual basis. That's all there is. When you come in here, we put up the name Jesus. In the morning on the screens, we we have this beautiful stained glass of Jesus. That's where it is. Without Jesus, we can do nothing. Believe me, you can preach sermons, you can lead churches and not have this connection at all. I know because I've been there. And this is one of the most critical things. This was Jesus' last lesson before he went to the cross. If I knew I was going to die tomorrow, this is the sermon I would preach to you today. Because I believe that it is so essential for us to understand how we live in our relationship with Jesus. And so... After they had eaten their meal, he'd served what became the Lord's Supper. They sang a hymn and they left the upper room. And as they left the upper room, they walked past the temple. And on the outside of the temple was an enormous vine, golden vine, 
that had been placed there as a symbol of the nation of Israel. And as they walk past it, Jesus gestures to it, and he says, I am the true vine. So I'm going to read it to you and just follow along. Jesus said, I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me, and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends for everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. And so that whatever you ask in my name, the father will give you. This is my command. Love each other. Now, he had that last opportunity to instill into them deeply inside their souls. Here's where you go from now. And the key piece is the vine and the branches picture. When Jesus said, I am the vine, he's saying, I am the sole source of your spiritual birth, life, growth, and productivity. I am the only source. When you look at a vine with its grapes hanging on it, you know that all of the sap for that, those branches and for, that, for that, that produces the grapes comes from the vine. If a branch is removed from the vine, it cannot produce fruit. Here's an interesting thing. You never see fruit growing on the vine. It always grows on the branches. Because the vine exists to produce fruit through the branches. Isn't that the most incredible picture? I mean, Jesus is a master teacher, and that picture just locks into my brain. Jesus said, I'm the vine. I'm the sole source, the only source of your spiritual birth, life, growth, and productivity. Here's the problem with the Raymond before, and the problem with many of us, and it is this, that we are functional deists. Aren't you glad to know that? A theist believes God exists, and that God is intimately involved in our lives every moment of every day. A deist believes that God exists, but he's remote. He's uninterested. He's distant from us. He's not involved in our lives. We live our lives by our own power, our own strength, our own intellect, our own effort. That's what a deist is. Benjamin Franklin, deist. 
spoke about God, but God was up there, far away. We're responsible to run our own lives, and we can without him. That is not true. And Jesus said, I'm the vine, you're the branches. Without me, you can do nothing, nothing at all. When it comes to a life that is worth living, and a life that is worth living now and forever, he said, you have to tap yourself into me the way the branch of a vine taps into the vine itself because that's where the sap flows. And by the way, I believe that the, that it, the Holy Spirit forgives me if I, if I use the analogy that the sap that flows into us is the Spirit of God. He's Jesus' Spirit flowing into us. Jesus said this, I am the true vine and my Father is the gardener. Israel is not the true vine. Religion is not the true vine. No one else is the true vine. No matter how much they may claim for themselves, they cannot do in you and through you what only I can do. I am the vine. I'll come back to my father being the gardener in just a moment. So, right at the dead bedrock of this is the concept that we must get through our mind that what we have is not a religion. Religions have doctrines that they believe. They have practices that they, that they follow. That's what a religion is. Christianity is not that at all. We may have doctrines that we believe and we may do some practices, but they're secondary. They're not primary. What is primary is Jesus. And so everything we do as a church must always focus back toward Jesus. He's the source of life. You could study and memorize, but without Jesus, it's just going to be words in your brain. You can fill all kinds of blanks. You can preach all kinds of sermons. You can do all kinds of good works. But without Jesus involved, you're just spinning your wheels. You're just wasting your life. And when Jesus says, I am the vine, you're the branches, the picture he's giving us is that we must connect to him the way a living branch stays connected to the vine. It's so simple. It's the simplest thing in the world. That every single moment of every single day, Jesus is in you and you're in him. And he says, just cultivate that relationship. Keep cultivating it. When the Bible says pray without ceasing, it doesn't mean that we should be on our knees 24 hours a day. Oh, dear God, not like a pray without ceasing. That's not what it's talking about. It means you engage with Jesus all day long, constantly engaged with him and, and are praying and connecting with him whenever is necessary. It's just you're aware that he's always there with you. He says, you are my branches. You are living extensions of me to reproduce me for the world. Once you've connected yourself to Jesus Christ, you no longer belong to yourself. Once you're a follower of Jesus Christ, he owns you. <laughs> we don't like that. We don't like being owned. We don't want to have a king. We don't have one, everybody in authority over us. But the moment you belong to Jesus, the moment you commit your life to Jesus, you become one of his branches. And he has a reason for your life. To make your life worth living today and for the rest of eternity to produce fruit through you. And we'll come back to that in a while. He wants to produce his life in you and he wants to reproduce his life through you into the lives of other people. We don't live for ourselves. And so being a follower of Jesus Christ doesn't mean that I go to church on Sunday morning and that's church. Being a follower of Jesus Christ means I'm church 24 hours a day, every single day. I'm always part of what he's doing in this world. And we are living extensions of him. He says, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. And here he's talking about our actual engagement with him. 
that we remain connected to him. And as we remain connected to him, his life flows into us, his life changes us, and then his life flows through us to produce fruit for other people. Did you ever watch a vine eating its own fruit? Think about it. The vine doesn't produce fruit for itself. And that's one of the dangerous things we have with us as a church, that we produce whatever we produce it's for us. It's not for us. It's for others. The fruit is consumed by others. It's for the benefit of the outside world. That's why this was so critical for him to tell these disciples. The danger was they would go into a little Christian ghetto. Soon as he ascended to heaven, whoop, they would become living, disconnected from the world. And he said, oh, no. You're going to be my witnesses to the ends of the world. You're going to go and make disciples everywhere. You're not going to create a Christian ghetto. There wasn't actually, I think I told you this about a church that bought up all the property around their building and then they sold it only to Christians. It's like, are you crazy? That is the most stupid thing you could ever do. You can't live in this community unless you're a Christian and you belong to our church. Then you can live in it. So they created a ghetto and they kept the gospel and the light contained within. Jesus says, I'm the vine, you're the branches. If you remain in me, and I remain in you, you will bear much fruit. And apart from me, you can do nothing. Wouldn't that be an awful thing to have spent your entire life doing all kinds of good works? And, and, and you get to heaven and discover, actually, no, you produce nothing. Because you were doing it in your own strength. You were doing it without me, without my power, without my direction. And then he says, my father is the vine dresser. And the purpose of a vine dresser is to promote the growth of the vine. Are we, are we agreed on that? That the gardener wants to see his vines produce fruit. So what does he do to help that, that, that vine grow? Well, he prunes it when it's needed, and that's once a year. <laughs> and pruning kind of cuts it back. Have you ever noticed that? Okay, let me, let me give you a, a, a strong confession. The longer I walk with Jesus, the more aware I am of how sinful I am. It's like, oh, jeez, are you kidding? I would think that the longer I walk with Jesus, the more I'd be going, hey, hey got that one nailed. <laughs> oh, yeah, oh, my gosh, yeah. I'm gr-. No, it's the most amazing thing. That the, the longer you walk with him, the more you become aware of, uh-oh, there's another part of me that needs to be pruned. Here's another part of me that needs to be cleansed. There's something else that's gone wrong inside of me. He says, I'm the true vine and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. While every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes it so they were ever more fruitful. Isn't that a scary thought? He cuts off every branch in me that does not bear fruit. If you're not abiding in me and if you do not produce fruit, my father cuts you off and you lose your salvation. That's not what he's saying. That word cuts off. I don't know why they translate it that way. But the word, that, that the Greek word, airo, for which they translate cuts off. It's just one of the most stupid things to me. It's like, hello, would you guys go back to your dictionaries and look up what the word means? It does not mean cuts off. It means it way down at the bottom of the uses. The primary meaning is he lifts up every branch in me that bears, that does not bear fruit. And that changed the whole picture. Okay, I'm sorry to scare you about our translations, but it's just the most astounding thing to me that they always go to, he cuts off. He doesn't cut us off. He lifts us up. In, in, the new, in the Middle East, what they would do is allow the vine to grow on the ground at first. 
in order to keep as much soil, uh, water in the soil as possible, very arid area. And so the one thing they learned was that you let the branches grow along the ground. And as they grow along the ground, they keep moisture in the soil. But the vine, the vine dresser watches. And as soon as those little buds start to show up that are going to become the grapes, then he lifts them up and he cleanses them and he supports them so that they can grow. That's what God our Father is doing in your life and mine all of the time. He's watching for where we are ready to grow. He's watching for where we're ready to be productive. He's watching and working with us. And he lifts us up and prunes. And the word prunes means to cleanse. He washes and he cleans and he trims. And he works in our lives to make us more fruitful. Don't lose sight of the fact, though, that Jesus said, if you, if you abide in me. Okay? This will happen to the degree that you cooperate with the Father. This will happen to the degree that you connect with Jesus. The more we connect with Jesus, the more we cooperate with the Father, the more he is able to do this. Hebrews chapter 12 says that as our Father, as a Father disciplines his children, so God our Father disciplines us. And he does it not to punish us. He does it to correct us, to bring us back. Okay, wait. He does punish us sometimes. Okay? But his objective in punishment is to restore us, to bring us back. And so God our Father is constantly in tune with our lives. And he's watching what's going on in our lives, and he wants to promote growth. And so what he will do is where there's something you're doing right, he catches you doing it right, and he lifts you up. And where there's something that needs to be cleansed, he will cleanse. Where there's something that needs to be cut out of your life, he'll cut it out. But he works constantly in order to promote our growth. So, Jesus says, I'm the source of life. The only source of life. Without me, you can do nothing. Okay? You are my living extensions, designed to produce my life and reproduce my life into the lives of other people. And my Father watches over you all the time, and He promotes your growth. So He's involved in your life to the degree you respond to Him. That, to that degree, He will change and He will move you forward. And then, what should we do? Jesus says, abide in me. The word abide, meno, means to Make your house here. Build a home here. It would, it would be used that. You, work to a new, you work, move to a new city, you would abide in that city. You bought a new house, you would abide in that house. You married a new person, you would abide with that person. You would live in relationship with him. And so he's saying, come and live in me. And when we, how do we live in you? Absorb my words. Listen to my words. I'm going to give you a recommendation in a couple of weeks' time, but I want to give it to you right now, and it is this. Buy yourself a new version of the Bible you haven't read before. Okay? The English Standard Version is a, is a new translation, and I've recommended to this one to you before as well. You can buy a copy of it that doesn't have verse divisions and, and chapter divisions. And the reason that helps is that you can just read, and it reads just like a book. You're not going to be stuck with, oh, this is this chapter and I must stop now. No, it's better if you just read it like a book. You can buy it on Amazon. I don't get any kickback on it. I should have figured that out. Eh? You can buy it on Amazon. It'll be delivered tomorrow. And you will have a copy of the ESV Reader's Version. Okay, it's called the Reader's Version. And here's what I want to suggest you do. Go to the middle of the Bible and you'll find the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Okay, put a marker there at that point. And start reading Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Then start again. Matthew, Mark, 
Luke and John, and just read the Gospels for a while. Often we tell people to read the Bible, and they start in Genesis, they get to Exodus, Leviticus, and they give up. Right? Because it's like, ah, oh, have no idea. Whenever you recommend somebody read the Bible, I, and I just discovered this, explain to them where the Gospels are. I was urging somebody, you need to read the Gospels, and she said, what are the Gospels? This is a Christian. He's been going to church. Like, oh. Well, they're the, the four places where you can read about the life of Jesus. Stories about the life of Jesus. Each, each one of those Gospels has got a different objective, but you're reading stories about Jesus. <laughs> In the middle of the Bible, just go to the middle of that Psalms and keep going right, and then you'll find Matthew and start reading from Matthew onward. And here's what I recommend you do. As you read, you're going to read stuff you don't want always understand. It doesn't matter. Just keep reading. And as you read, let God develop a picture of Jesus in your mind. Right now, think of somebody you love who's not in this room. Somebody you know really well. Okay? See a picture of them in your mind? How clear is it? comes and go. Notice that? It's sort of there and it's not there and it's sort of there and it's not there, but you know them. And whether you can crystal clear see that picture, you know them. They reside inside your imagination. And reading the Gospels, what we want to do is to get to know Jesus, to get to just to know him. And God gave us that, that all that we need to know about him is there in those Gospels. Read them and absorb his words into his descriptions of him as he lived. And that way Jesus becomes more and more real in your everyday life. Being filled by my spirit, I add that just simply because that's what I think is happening. Is that as we connect with him, his spirit fills in us. And we'll see how the spirit changes our lives from the inside out. He said, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Now, he's talking to them plural. Okay? So that's why Raymond still doesn't have a portion. Okay? Just ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you as a church. It will be done for you as a body, as my representatives. So he's not making a, a promise, you know. Ask whatever you wish and I'll make sure you get the latest Keurig. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about ask whatever you wish in terms of a life that is meaningful. And God will give you that answer personally and to us as a group. Whatever you need to live a life that is worth living, God will give you. If you abide in me and you ask, and it will be done for you. And then he says, and by the way, I have one significant command. Love one another. If you go back to John chapter 14, you'll notice he said it there too. And he goes all the way to John chapter 14, 15, 16, 17. He keeps coming back to this topic. Love one another. Love one another as I have loved you, because as you do so, the world will know that you represent me. The way the world knows that we are the genuine thing from God is when they can see the love, the tenacious love that God's people have for one another. Let me tell you how they will see it show up. They will see it show up most clearly when a church has conflict within it. Because the rest of the time we can fake it. Oh, we love you. Oh, love you, brother. Love you, sister. <laughs> Fellowship, we got such love. The love of Christ. The way the love of God shows up is when something goes wrong and when there's conflict in a church and when the people of God handle that conflict 
in the way Jesus told us to. In a godly manner. So that the people can stand back and go, that's so different. Other people fight and leave. But these people stay together. And they say, I'm going to make sure we work our way through this. Neither one of these men are here, so I won't use their names. But David Malta and Jeff Eggenberger once went through this process. These two men were men on our elder board. A-type personality. Run my own business. I'll tell you how to run this church. And David and, and, and Jeff were starting to do this. And see, what happens in the world is one of them says, I'm out of here. You're not going to do what I want to do? I'm out of here. And so I had to say to them, you guys had better sit down and figure this out, okay? It's like, what? I said, you two, the clash that's happening between you is going to hurt our church. If you don't figure out how to deal with this, you're going to hurt the church. And so they sat down together and they talked it through. And lo and behold, both still part of our church. Dave needs our prayers, by the way. His health is failing right now. So Dave Moulton needs our prayers at this point in time. But do you see? That's what happens. Love one another as I've loved you. Yes, we have conflict. Yes, we have difficulty. But we committed to one another. And we worked through the issues. And now we're together. Stronger than ever before. And Jesus said, that's how the world will know. That you belong to me. That you represent me because they will see that kind of love. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love is no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. That's the kind of love that he's talking about. Not just, you know, soft, squishy times when when things are easy, but when things get tough as well. And then he says, and when you do this, when you abide in me, when you love one another, then you will live a life. That is worthwhile. I will be produced in you. And I will be reproduced through you. When he uses the word fruit. In the scriptures fruit is used in two different ways. And they overlap. One is the fruit of the character of Jesus Christ. And we'll see that in Galatians chapter 5. The fruit of the spirit. The more time you spend with Jesus. The more you become just like Jesus. And here's the interesting thing. The more you become just like Jesus. The more you become you. It's the most amazing thought. The more you become like Jesus, the more you become the authentic you that God created you to be. Because what happens is he takes away weaknesses, he enhances strengths, he gives you gifts. And the more you become like Jesus, the more you become the genuine article of you that God intended you to be. And so the first part of fruit is that we become more and more like Jesus. The other is that more and more people become more and more like Jesus. Evangelism is just a normal part of the life of a church. Reaching out to others, winning them to faith in Jesus Christ is the normal thing that a church does. And we ask our question, we ask ourselves the question, are more and more of us becoming more and more like Jesus? And are more and more people becoming followers of Jesus because of our church? If that's not happening, we need to pray about it. We need to ask God. We want to see this growth. We want to see this growth as well. One is qualitative. The other is quantitative. But those are the kinds of growth that Jesus wants to see happening in the church. That we're becoming more and more like him. And that more and more people who didn't know him before are being drawn into his kingdom because of what we do. You did not choose me, he said. But I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit. 
Fruit that will last. And so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. I'm asking you to join us in prayer. God has given us this incredible opportunity to reach the community around us. And believe me, there are a lot of people, they live squeaky clean lives. They don't know Jesus. Okay? They need to know Jesus. Neighbors, friends, people around us. Let's pray that God will bring those kind of people into the life of our church. Christians coming to join us is okay as long as they come to join us to do the work that we're doing. But what we want people to do, we want people to join us who are being drawn into the kingdom of God. Please join us in praying that the Father will give us that. The more I become like Jesus, the more I become the person God created me to be, and the more worthwhile my life becomes. And that's based not on Raymond's wishful thinking, not on motivational ideas. It's based simply on what Jesus says. And so our mission as a church, based on this passage, is to grow a family who are becoming more and more like Jesus. You get on the elevator, somebody says to you, what does Medlock do? So we build a family of people who are becoming more and more like Jesus. And it's measurable. You can see it. David Malta, Mr. A, Mr. Businessman. Jesus began to work in his life. And Tiffany, who runs our sound system, her mom was dying of cancer. And we went to see Tiffany in the hospital, in, in, in her, where she was. And just before we left, David went over to, to her mom. And he leaned over and he kissed her on her forehead. And I'm going, oh, that's Jesus right there showing up in his life. And if you and I think about it, and I'm going to ask you to do this in the, in the weeks to come, think about who, in your experience, is becoming more and more like Jesus. When I was in seminary, I sat next to a guy whose, whose name was <laughs> Rip Van Winkle. His first name was Dwight, I think. We all called him Rip. And the reason I sat next to Rip was because he could ask questions. I mean, he would ask questions, and I think, you know, I could have lived five lifetimes, and I would never have thought to come up with such a clever question. He was incredible. He's now a professor, Hebrew professor, somewhere up north. Um, but anyway, um, uh, he would ask these incredible questions. And so it was fun to sit next to him because I learned just from his questions, let alone the answers that the professor gave. And one day he scribbled on a piece of paper and he pushed it across the desk to me. And I picked it up and read it and he said, who of our professors is like Jesus? So I asked him, why are you asking this? He said, well, if God's program is for us to become more and more like Jesus, surely we should see it. So who of our professors is just like Jesus? And so I wrote down a list and he wrote down a list. And we compared our lists. We each had different men on the lists. But what was fascinating is there were connections. And you know what was interesting? Every single one of those men had suffered deeply. Every single one of that, those men had gone through trauma in their lives. And you could see that as they went through those traumatic times, they became more and more like Jesus. One of them, his daughter, was in a coma. He wrote a book about it. Barb, please wake up. His daughter was in a coma for the longest time. And 
he and his wife went through that, that horrendous time dealing with him. Another one of those men had been in a car accident and it gave him partial paralysis on, his, on one side of his face and one side of his body. Another man was on dialysis all the time. As we went down that list and noticed an interesting thing, every single one of these men were like Jesus. But the fascinating thing about them is they had suffered. And so often we think, I'll become more like Jesus as long as my life is easy and good and cushy and he blesses me and I get wealthy and healthy and I've got lots of stuff. That's not true. He meets us in the everyday life of where we absolutely live. And I call this divine life because that's what Jesus wants us to live. He wants us to live a divine life connected to him so that his life flows into us, changes us, and then flows through us into the lives of other people. Any questions or objections? I watch the clock and I go, eh, I've got 10 minutes. No. Do you see why this passage is so vital to me? Why I think it's such a critical thing? Because it changes, it takes it all away from religion and it puts completely in the realm of relationship with Jesus Christ. And so think of that. All throughout every day, connect with him no matter where. And start reading the Gospels, okay? I'll come back and explain that a little bit more. But just start reading the Gospels, just so that Jesus begins to grow in your heart and in your mind. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we are branches because you came and grafted us into yourself. Not one of us was searching for you. You came and found us. And that is such an act of grace. And Lord Jesus, every single one of us has a a deep down inside of us a longing to live a life worth living, both now and forever. And thank you that you opened easily the door for us to do that. I thank you that this is a church where we can see you at work. And I pray that you would just continue to move in us and among us, that we will see more and more people becoming more and more like Jesus. And I pray that in Christ's name. Amen.